Welcome to the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. I'm Josh Elledge, founder and CEO of UpMyInfluence.com. We turn entrepreneurs into media celebrities, grow their authority, and help them build partnerships with top influencers. We believe that every person has a unique message that can positively impact the world. Stick around to the end of the show, where I'll reveal how you can be our next guest on one of the fastest growing daily inspiration podcasts on the planet in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Thoughtful Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Jen Amos. And I'm really excited, as I always am when I do this show, because it means that I get to interview incredible entrepreneurs and business owners all around the world. So let me go ahead and introduce to you our guest today. We have Danny M. Goldberg, who is the founder of Gold SRD. You can learn more about him and his, uh, learn more about him and his company at goldsrd.com. Gold SRD is a leading provider of staff augmentation, executive recruiting, and professional development services. Danny is a well-known speaker on internal auditing and people-centric skills, co-authoring and coining the term people-centric skills, communication and interpersonal skills for internal auditors at Wiley Publications. This is the first book published specifically to address the wide-ranging topic of, communi- of communication skills for internal auditors. Danny, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jen. Yeah, we're very happy to have you. I thought I'd ask, how are things going in the new normal for you? <laughs> you know, um, it, it's been an adjustment. I was traveling about 200,000 miles a year. I was not wow. home very often. Um, I'm home a lot more, mm-hmm. which uh, I guess is a good thing um, for my kids. It's nice, I guess, for them to uh, get a reminder who their father is <laughs> on occasion. Um, but um, it's actually been pretty good. We've adjusted to the the new normal pretty easily mm-hmm. and are doing virtual classes. I'd say we're doing 25 to 50 hours a week on uh, virtual training. So it's it's gone great. And we're trying to simulate the live environment as close as possible. Mm-hmm. It can be a little challenging at times, but I think we're doing, it seems like we're doing a pretty good job getting as close as possible to that live environment. Yeah, absolutely. What do you feel like is the number one um, like, let's say, what, what's, the, what's the number one, like, um, how, how do I describe it? Like, what's the one thing that you have found that makes virtual almost feel live? You know, I was doing a course on um, virtual internal auditing, for example. Mm-hmm. And as I did research and really thought about and dug into the specifics, I came to the same conclusion I have with presenting, speaking, really almost anything. The same things that that work in a live environment work in virtual. Uh, mm. It might be a little bit more difficult to replicate them, but that's what we're, that, the same things work. So in this example, um, we try to personalize everything. I like to use Zoom or other products that can give you the meetings so I can see people. Mm-hmm. And what I've also learned is I request people, I almost demand it at times for them to keep their video on at all times. Mm. Um, because when you can see people, they'll pay a lot more attention. If the mm-hmm. uh, video's off, it's easy to zone out very quickly. So we try to do that. I'm very good at remembering names. So I'm really, really focused on remembering who's on the webinar or meeting and calling them by name. People always listen for their name, even if Absolutely. they're not doing anything else. And so it's really, again, the same techniques I use in the live environment um, seem to work very well in virtual. Yeah, I like the 
the requirement to have video on. I was I just saw this meme. <laughs> I saw this meme on uh, Instagram today where it said, um, you know, back in the day, hooky would look like, you know, kids jumping off like over a fence and like leaving school. But today, hooky is just putting your camera off and, you know, turning your camera off and putting your microphone on mute. <laughs> you know, a lot of these techniques are replicated by, I mean, quite frankly, elementary schools, junior highs doing this virtually. Uh, my kids' schools, uh, at first, last year, we're not requiring this and going into this year, they're live now, thankfully, mm-hmm. but uh, the first week was virtual and they required people to have their video on. And if they were going to leave um, to uh, to mention why you're leaving your desk. Now, we're not going that far, but um, it's the same theories work. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that, let's say things start to open up again, do you feel like you'll possibly do a hybrid of virtual and live events moving forward? I don't think I'll be on the road as much, hopefully, but I have been uh, theorizing since March that there's going to be a premium for live training moving forward. Mm. People realize, again, virtual is very good, but people realize how important it is to to be in the same room and the, the dialogue and the conversations aren't the same. So I think there'll be a premium on live training. We'll still do a lot. I still plan on doing a lot of live training, um, but just maybe not not as much and do force upon us to do a lot more virtual training. Before all this happened, we tried, our virtual events were okay. Mm -hmm. I think now moving forward, meaning the attendance to them, um, Mm. the the feel, the look of them was always the same, Uh, but people still wanted live. Now they have no choice. It's changed. I think it's going to change people's perceptions of virtual. It's going to be a lot more accepted. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to probably do some type of a hybrid of both. Yeah, absolutely. I have a, a good, my best friend is in sales and, you know, similar to you, he traveled all the time. And uh, now he's finding that even though, you know, and he very much in, uh, prefers the in-person communication as well, because there's that um, nonverbal communication that you can pick up better in person mm-hmm. than, I, than I think you can do, um, you know, virtually. And uh, even despite all of that, uh, he told me that because he doesn't have to travel as much as sales have actually increased. And but obviously, if it wasn't for the pandemic, this, you know, virtual wouldn't be considered a staple. And just like you said, uh, people are more, um, uh, people accept it more now, because it's, it's a necessity to, you know, interact with one another. Now, I don't think it's ever going to go back fully to the way it was before. I do think that that you know we're going to do a lot more virtual meetings. We're going to do a lot more virtual trainings. But I think there's going to be a balance, hopefully a balance between the two for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Danny, we talked a lot about you uh, doing a lot of training. And I see here that you have actually been speaking, uh, a professional speaker since 2007. So tell me a little bit about that because I... Uh, I hope one day I will get to that place where I was like, I'm just going to speak for a living. Um, Tell us a little bit about what that experience has been like for you. I never really had any goal to become a professional speaker. I I always had in my objectives, I really wanted to write. I really wanted to um, write articles, um, become a a market leader in in my profession. I wrote a few articles and uh, the natural progression was to start speaking. So I was Mm. still working full time in corporate America. I started doing speaking on the side for about three years, and I found that I enjoyed speaking a lot more than I did working anymore. Mm. And uh, I, I started looking at how can I convert this over into a full time full time job. So I wrote, um, I helped write a book on internal auditing at the time, and um, when I was really comfortable, I flipped the switch. A lot of people say. You know, you just got to jump into it. Just quit your job and dive into what you really want to do. I'm not, uh, I'm a little more conservative than that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
we planned on and, and we did so. We built a brand, we built um, uh, something sustainable. And when it was ready to move over to full-time, we were able to do that. And, you know, I think that, um, I think it, I think for single people, it makes sense <laughs> to say, Hey, you know, take the leap. What do you got? You, you have, you know, you don't, you're not responsible for anyone, but you know, from my observation with uh, couples or, or families, like they are a little more meticulous um, and methodical when it comes to making that leap. And it's not really a leap. It's more like a, um, like a gradual leap, like maybe building a bridge to get there rather than taking the leap. <laughs> that's what I did. I, I was at the time when I left corporate America, I was, uh, I had a two-year-old, he had just turned two, and a six-month-old girl. And mm. so my kids were 13 and 11 now. And it was, again, it was a little dangerous, but it, I wasn't a, I, I was home a lot, but I wasn't a good, uh, I don't think I was very there mentally. Mm-hmm. I didn't enjoy my job. I was kind of just checked out to an extent. And um, do I travel a lot more? I do. Am I pretty busy? I am, but I'm I attend all my kids' events. I never, even when I was traveling, I never miss my kids' events, and I, I think I have a much better relationship with my family um, because of because I'm happy overall. I've never been. I always wondered, you know, you'd walk into the coffee shop Wednesday at 10 a.m. for some reason, or, or walk into Chick Fil A or anything to grab breakfast, and you're like, how are these people at 10 in the morning on a Wednesday sitting in a coffee shop? You know, mm. a writer kind of thing. And I always wanted to do that, and. Mm-hmm. I figured out how to do that. That's fantastic. You know, I was just thinking just now, is anyone really happy in corporate America? <laughs> I mean, in your because I know you you come from corporate America. So looking back, I mean, do you think in any way corporate America could shift where people actually enjoy being there? Because even in my experience, I'm like, I, I wanted to leave. I've been self-employed for the last decade for a reason. And every time I entertain the idea of a job, I just, I start getting goosebumps. I'm like, no, I can't do it. Like I will, I will work really hard and I will work for nothing until I make something rather than to trade in time for, for money. I think people can be happy and successful, but it's got to be the right uh, person, their personality, the right corporate culture, they've got to really incentivize. And I think companies are doing a much better job of uh, balancing out the work, uh, the work week, working from home, understanding mm-hmm. family commutes. I think it's gotten better, mm-hmm. but ultimately I wanted to be in control of my future. And I tell anybody, um, it doesn't matter what level you are in corporate America, you are replaceable and, mm-hmm. and people replace you in a heartbeat if there is an economic downturn or something else. So do I want to be empowered and hold my future in my hands or do I want someone else to hold it? And, and my answer was always the former. Yeah, absolutely. They say that when you are working for someone else, you're helping someone else build their dreams. Um, but as an entrepreneur, as a, as a business owner, you can build your own dreams and you can bring on a team to help you uh, build your dreams. And, you know, I think it just depends on the individual and what their goals are at the time. Sometimes people want to be in control of their professional career, or sometimes they feel they're at a time in their life where they really need to provide for their family. And so, you know, getting, working that job is, um, is, is the vehicle to help them you know, support their family, which is the fulfilling part of, of, you know, making that kind of sacrifice, I think. But I think it's very admirable for you, uh, Danny, as a father to have made that decision while your kids were so young, <laughs> you know, to take that leap. And so I, I want to get into um, really uh, that the journey. How, uh, if you don't mind sharing with our, with uh, the fellow entrepreneurs and business owners that are listening to the show, um, what are some key things that you did to build a sustainable speaking career? 
I have a lot of people that reach out to me all the time and say, Hey, I want to be a speaker. Um, mm. How'd you do it? And I don't think people realize the investment in time and energy you have to make into that. And uh, some general advice I got at, at a much younger entrepreneur age um, is uh, you can't be everything to everybody. Find your niche, find mm. what you're good at and be great at it. Um, mm-hmm. If you can be. Um, and don't be the low cost provider ever because it's very difficult to, not be the low cost provider. So find something you're good at. People are willing to pay for it. And that's kind of been uh, my experience. A lot of times people are just amazed at, you know, how are you able to do this uh, as an entrepreneur? And it, it sounds almost cliche, but I did what felt natural. A lot of the mm. marketing um, we've done, a lot of the, a lot of the um, uh, email marketing, LinkedIn, um, books we've written. Mm-hmm just felt natural. It was some seemed like the natural progression to go. And, um, I, that, that's kind of my point is when you, when you love something and you work for yourself all the time, my kids are always on me. <laughs> are you always answering emails? Why are you always online? Because I love what I do and it's, mm. it's fine. So if, if I want to answer email right away, I'm going to do that because it's directly impacting me. And that level of engagement um, distinguishes yourself from other consulting firms, other trainers, from what I found. Mm-hmm. And those are just the little bits of advice I've had, I've given, or I would give. Mm-hmm. And I would continue to reiterate, what makes you, and that's the question I ask everybody, what makes you different from everybody else? I ask people that when we, when you recruiting, mm-hmm. how, why is any company going to remember who you are? I mean, mm-hmm. what's going to distinguish you? You look like every other resume out there. What makes you different? And the same thing as an entrepreneur. What makes you different? What is your um, value proposition that you bring to the table? Because, I mean, hypothetically, I'm a risk. I would say not now. Ten years ago, I was a risk to companies because we Mm. were unknown. People don't know if we're going to stick around. So why am I going to invest in a relationship with an organization that might go away? Mm -hmm. What we kept on saying is um, you're going to get the best customer service. You're going to get some of the most high-quality training at a very reasonable price try us and it's a relationship that'll last forever. And I was just doing a webinar right before this. That's a client that's, they've been a client. They're a a very large financial institution. They've been a client for 10 years. Mm -hmm. So you can have relationships like that. um, If you bring something distinguishable to the table. Yeah, absolutely. I want to go a little bit back to what you mentioned um, uh, about like never set a low cost for your services. And I think that let's say starting uh, entrepreneurs who are starting out, they feel the need to do that. And why do you think that maybe some people are stuck in that mental block of, you know, providing like maybe in a way, you know, undervaluing their services? What what would you say to them who who are maybe stuck at that level right now? I think a lot of times, and, and I, I think I started out this way, but I shifted within a, a month or two of starting. Mm-hmm. Uh, they take their... Um, corporate salary and look at an hourly rate that's reasonable instead mm-hmm. of looking what a consultant at their level would make from a big four or one of the other major consulting firms the gap there is i mean you're talking three to four times an hour, an hour at least mm-hmm. so you've got to find somewhere a sweet spot in there a lot of people are saying well as long as i can replicate my uh, salary divided by 20 80 times maybe 20 percent on top for healthcare, i'm okay mm-hmm but that's not the way you got to look at it because you really need to look at how does the customer perceive you. And what we found with uh, some of the, at first we were doing some free webinars to promote some of our products and we didn't get great attendance. And mm. I don't know who told me this, but 
people are much more willing to drop something that's free than something they pay for. So right. we don't, I, I quite frankly, very rarely do anything free. It might be low cost, mm-hmm. but it's definitely not going to be free because we want people to engage. We want people to be there that want to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just, um, in a way, taking that leap and just trusting that like you, your services are valuable and you should mark them at a price that um, honors you and your expertise and your background or even just your potential um, to provide the best service to your you know, ideal clientele. And you were talking about your, your friend that was a salesperson or that mm-hmm. is a salesperson. I never viewed myself as a salesperson. I didn't think I'd ever be very good at sales. But when you're mm-hmm. selling something you believe in, when you're selling yourself, it's really, really easy to sell. Mm-hmm. That's that's beautiful. Well, let's talk a little bit about, let's transition real quick, uh, Danny, to your book, People-Centric Skills. And in my notes here, I, I think this is an interesting topic to bring up. And you have shared in the notes that IQ gets you the job, but EQ gets you promoted. Um, tell me, is that part of your book? And if it is, uh, tell, tell us a little, bit, a little bit about what that means. So let me give you a little history there. You mentioned the uh, initial book I wrote, I co-authored on people-centric skills. That was um, six years ago now, and Wiley mm-hmm. published that. Um, we finally did a follow-up, and uh, I was the lone author on this one. It just came out two months ago. Mm-hmm. We wrote a book on, it's really an executive coach, an executive speaker going from client to client, helping them with uh, communication-related skills. Mm-hmm. The second edition carries all the characters forward, so it's a story that I think people can relate to. At the beginning of each chapter, we talk about here's the skills you're going to learn about. Teach them in a uh, a manner that I think most people can relate to or situations that most people can relate to, and then summarize at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, the first book was focused on the base level communication skills. The second book, this one that just came out, we really, really try to focus on here's the skills that are going to make you advance in your career. Here's the executive level skills, um, uh, presentation skills, um, emotional intelligence, uh, high level conflict management, going into in-depth body language. And, mm-hmm. and your quote uh, that you mentioned is something that I've been very focused on because I never viewed myself as somebody that would be, you know, emotionally intelligent. Mm. Um, I've learned, and and a lot of the experience I've had, specifically with my kids, have really made me explore that side because people get promoted for the wrong reasons in corporate America. They get promoted because they're good at their job. Mm-hmm. Should they get promoted because they're good at their job, or should they get promoted because they're going to be good at motivating people to do their jobs? Mm. And usually, I mean, it should be the latter, in my opinion. They have to be intelligent and understand their role. But I need somebody that can motivate people. I need somebody that can lead people. I need somebody that can teach people. And those are not skills that people look for when getting the job initially. Mm. Emotional intelligence, understanding your employees and getting into um, what motivates them to work and getting the best out of your employees, that really drives at your emotional intelligence. Mm I think uh, I feel like maybe it's just a generational thing, but it seems more accepted nowadays to focus about focus on emotional um, intel- intelligence. Where maybe coming out of the industrial age, it was very very task oriented. It was like get this done. Like you have the skill set, do this skill set. But now it seems like even in corporate America, I think today, like people are looking for a sense of purpose, meaning, and above all else, part of the reason why I think people stay at jobs even if they don't like it is that sense of community. Is that sense of like oh, like I appreciate my boss, my or my boss or my manager is really good to me. Um, and so I, uh, so when, when you, when you share that, that's what I, what I think of and what I reflect on, um, and how really the workplace has changed in, in, you know, a matter of decades, really. 
Yeah, and and my 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 parents were both. Uh, I'm first generation. They came uh, here from Europe. Mm-hmm. My dad worked at Raytheon for 43 years, and wow, I saw what I mean. They treated him very well. I want to make that clear. He's mm-hmm. financially secure, but. I saw what it did to him too, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and how, you know, once he got to the tipping point in his career, that maybe he was a little, he felt a little underappreciated, stuck mm-hmm. around for what. And uh, he would never talk about emotional intelligence. There's, yeah. to your point, th- that's a concept that I would say uh, one generation, or maybe it was just my dad, just did not grasp. And you're right, people are starting to understand that um, I need these other skills in order to be a great leader that someone can get the most out of anybody instead of getting the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Danny, I feel like we only touched the tip of the iceberg with so many topics that we can uh, um, really pull from you. <laughs> uh, one more question I want to ask you, is there any uh, final piece of advice you want to share with our fellow entrepreneurs and business owners that are listening to the thoughtful entrepreneur? A big part of uh, emotional intelligence um, just uh, on our topic is empathy. Mm-hmm. As a, uh, a salesperson or as somebody that's starting up a business, you've got to truly understand what your client wants and needs. And y- yes, I mean, that's part of a sales technique, but showing empathy, showing a good understanding of what they should be looking for, to me, is one of the main reasons why we've been successful. So I would say mm. get to know your clients on a personal level, understand what they're truly looking for, and, and see if you can help them meet that need. And I think you'll, you'll be a, a great step to success. That's powerful. I feel like I feel like sales is becoming like a dirty word. We need a new word for sales. <laughs> I think it's. I mean, it's it's relationship management or relationship building. Mm-hmm. Is you know, it, I would say that most of my clients, I feel very comfortable saying I know them pretty well, or or we're friends, mm-hmm. and uh, try to have that relationship. It's it's the difference between a used car salesman relationship and a and a true friendship that's going to endure times. Yeah, absolutely. Well, on that note, Danny, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you for taking some time to share some wisdom and your journey. And I know that our uh, listenership will really benefit from this. So thank you again. Can I, can I throw in one more pitch? Please. If you're, if you're interested in my new book, um, you can go to our website and, uh, or shoot me an email and we're offering a slight discount uh, over Amazon. You'll like it a lot. And as an entrepreneur, as a business person, there's a lot of valuable skills that I think everybody will get a lot out of. Fantastic. Well, once again, this was Danny Goldberg, the founder and owner of Gold SRD. If you want to get that book or learn more about him and his company, check out goldsrd.com. With that said, thank you all so much for listening and we'll chat with you in the next episode. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. If you are a thoughtful business owner or professional who would like to be on this daily program, please visit upmyinfluence.com slash guest. Now, if you've got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. Now, if you do that, tag us with the hashtag upmyinfluence. Each month, We scour Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We pick one winner from each platform, and you get crowned king or queen of that social media. Now, what do you win? Well, we're going to promote you and your business to over 120,000 social media fans totally free. Now, 
Can you also hook us up? Now, in your podcast player right now, please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review. We promise to read it all and take action. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill that mission. And while you're at it, hit that subscribe button. You know why? Tomorrow, that's right, seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed. 15 minutes a day. Now, my name's Josh Elledge. Let's connect on the socials. You'll find all the stuff we're doing at upmyinfluence.com. Now, thanks for listening, and thank you for being a part of the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Movement. Mm-hmm.